0: We are in the second week of a series that we're doing called My Crazy Family. My Crazy Family, if you weren't here last weekend, be sure to jump online. You can listen to the podcast, you can go on. The website, YouTube, Vimeo, all of that, and catch up with us. But last Sunday, I gave you two nuggets of truth as an introduction. I gave you four nuggets of truth, rather, as an introduction. I want to revisit two of them today. If you're taking notes, which I highly encourage you to do, uh, you'd want to write a lot of thoughts down today, but especially the uh, nuggets of truth here. Uh, In both of our physical locations, our campuses, there's a message note card in the seat back pocket right in front of you or behind you. Uh, That's a way that you can take notes, or you can use your smartphone Just maybe encourage you to put that on airplane mode so you don't get too distracted. But here's the first truth that I want to share with you today. And this is really important as we lay the conversational foundation to the series. And it's the understanding and the reality that not everyone has the same family experience. We don't all have the same family dynamic. And I know that might seem like an obvious statement, but it's a good reminder for many of us that From the person from one campus to the other campus, from one side of the room to the other side of the room, from one row to the end of the row, they just grew up in a different family experience. And so a family is not emotionally neutral. Uh, Neither is words like mother, father, brother, sister, etc. Each of those carry a particular weight depending on the experience of your upbringing or the dynamic of your home life as a kid. Some of you grew up in a very traditional home with a mother and a father. Some of you grew up in a single parent home. Some of you grew up in a blended family home. And so you get the point. So no, no, two, no two family experiences are identical. So whenever we have a conversation about family, we have to keep that in mind that you can't just make general statements because it doesn't sit with everyone the exact same way. Does that make sense? And the second nugget of truth is this, and this is absolutely the truth, Every family has some level of crazy to it. Come on now. Like every family got a little crazy in it. As a matter of fact, by a show of hands, both campuses, come on, lift them up if your family's crazy. Let's be honest. Crazy family. If if you're sitting there today and you didn't raise your hand, you need to know it's because you're the crazy one. Come on. <laughs> you, are, you are the reason that the family is in therapy. So um, every family's got a little crazy to it, though. It, even, you go back to the first family. Go back to Genesis. God created humanity. He created mankind. He made Adam and Eve. We'll talk more about that here in just a few moments, but they had two sons, Cain and Abel, and and Cain murdered his brother Abel over a jealous rage. So even in the first family, there's a murder. So if you ain't killed anybody in your family, you're doing pretty good. Come on. But every family's got some level of just craziness and drama to it. The enemy would love for you to think that those issues Uh, are isolated to your family alone, but that's just not the case. You know, everybody's just got some stuff that we have to deal with, and it's important that you keep that, that you keep that in mind. So what I did a a couple of weeks ago in preparation of the series, I just put out on my social media, just, hey, we're kicking off a new series called My Crazy Family. Can some of y'all just send me a message or comment below, you know, in about 140 characters or less, some of the craziness of your family? And, All kinds of responses came in. You had to filter through some of them because some of them weren't appropriate for church. Come on now. But let me give you two today. I gave you a few last Sunday. Let me give you two today. Here's one that came in. And by the way, these are real. They're they're not made up. Didn't Google these. These are from people that... Either follow us on social media or they're sitting next to you. Okay, here's (laughs) the, and that is more truer than you realize. But here's the first one right here. Uh, My brother was escorted to my grandfather's funeral by, well, the deputy sheriff. Come on now. (laughs) And some of you are thinking, what's wrong with that? That's that's my family. Now, the next one, and it's the second one here, uh, you kind of have to track with me, okay, because we need to unpack this as we walk this out. And it's going to take some of you all day to figure it out. I mean, I saw it the other day. I talked about it in the last gathering. I still haven't fully comprehended or wrapped my mind around how this whole thing works. But I think you'll enjoy this. My, my dad's second wife died. Two months later, we find out on the old Facebook. Come on. Thank God for Facebook, right? That, well, he's engaged. They married just five months later. When I finally meet her, she introduces me to her handsome nephew. So I ended up marrying my new cousin. Come on, somebody. Are you, you, you're tracking with me, right? You're getting it now. All right. In the same year that my dad's nephew's aunt were married. How about that? Come on. So, Lord, just touch that family right now, Lord. We know that they're from Alabama. Bless them, Jesus. Help them, Lord. Y'all, y'all know that was funny. Come on now. All right, on the count of three, both campuses, everybody say this with me. I want you to declare, my family doesn't have to be crazy. Come on, you don't have to, you don't have to end up on the Jerry Springer show. Come on, you don't have to end up on the front page of the newspaper. Um, you ready? Let's say this together. One, two, three, my family doesn't have to be crazy. Say it again. One, two, three, my family doesn't have to be crazy. doesn't have to be crazy. The enemy would love for your family to be crazy. The enemy would love for you to think that there is no hope for your family. But because of the redemptive work, that Jesus Christ did on the cross at Calvary because of God's sovereignty. And watch this, how God orchestrated and ordained the family unit and the family structure. Your family doesn't have to be crazy. What God wants, listen to me, this is early on, not all of this is on the TV for you to take notes, but let me just share my heart. What God wants is for your home, your family, your spouse, your marriage, your children, to be a home and a house of peace and grace and unity, not disunity, but unity. The Bible says, and we talked about this last Sunday, that a house divided against itself cannot stand. So the enemy loves to throw on disunity and dysfunction and craziness. But what God wants is what Psalm 133 once says. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. There's power in unity. And the enemy is afraid of the united force of you and your home. Because he knows that if the house can become united, revival will break out. Can I get somebody to help me preach? I know it's early on, but so the enemy is doing everything he can. Uh, the world is throwing everything they can to try to separate you and your family, to try to cause all of the fighting, all of the fussing, etc. So, uh, a couple of weeks prior to the kickoff of the series, I was reading out of First Peter, got to chapter four, and this verse just kind of. Dropped in my spirit as the theme verse for the series. So I'm going to show it to you in all four weeks of the series. And here's what it says. I'll give you the first two words and then give you some fill in the blank. But it says this, above all. So lay this verse over the context of your family. Lay this over the top of your crazy house, over your crazy kids, over your crazy money, over your crazy wife, over your crazy husband, over your crazy mother-in-law, whatever. Above all. Above all the fighting. Above all the arguing. Above all the disagreeing, above all the financial pressures, that's a real thing, above all the Uber driving that you do to get your children or grandchildren from here to there, above all those, you know, unwashed dishes that are in the sink this morning. Kimberly, I wanted to remind you of that. Of all that, (laughs) all the laundry that needs to be done or folded, come on, above all. And here's the key thought here, just keep loving one another. Uh, That's an intentional decision, to keep loving one another in spite of flaws and imperfections and propensities towards doing wrong. Just keep loving each other. And then here's the word. It's not highlighted yellow, but it's powerful. Earnestly, intentionally, with great conviction. And then here's why. And we know this. For those of us who accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've experienced the love of God that covers a multitude of sin. And then when we are in God, we can live out one of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And that love can cover a multitude of mistakes. Just keep loving one another above all. Don't buy into the lies of the enemy. Don't buy into the lies of the world. Don't buy into the lies of what your mind is telling you. I'm testifying to the fact that God wants your home and your heart to be full of unity and peace and grace. So let me show you all four weeks as an outline to the series. So it can kind of give you an appetizer and a little bit of direction of where we're going. Last week, we talked about my crazy family. Jump back on. That was the introduction. Today, we're going to talk about my crazy spouse. This is really about, you know, my crazy marriage. And if you're here today and, and you're not married, maybe you're divorced or you're single or you're widowed, I really believe the principles and practicals of today's message can be applicable to just any relationship in your life and almost just any part of your life. If you'll kind of have that perspective with an open mind and open heart. Next week, we'll talk about your crazy kids and crazy grandkids. Come on, I'll give you some parenting and grandparenting advice, and then we'll end the series on week number four. This is the Sunday before Mother's Day, and we'll talk about my crazy money because, again, financial pressure is a huge challenge in households today. Now, I want to jump right in. You've heard this a few times maybe as you walked into one of our campuses today. You were greeted with this information or you heard uh, one of your campus pastors announced today is about marriage. We are talking about spouse, husbands, and wives. So it is a little PG 13. So if you've not checked your children into Go Kids, it's not too late. Uh, you can do that already. And uh, But if you're, if you're ready to go where no man has ever gone before, then you'll enjoy this message, right? Let me give you, let me give you, let's go to the beginning. Let's go to Genesis, all right? So if you've got your Bible, flip with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to go to chapter number two. And here we see that. God created Adam and then he creates Eve. And let me give you the story. So Genesis chapter 2, let's pick up in verse number 21, just a few verses of scripture here. And here's what the Bible says. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. Now I highlighted the word slept here just for all the ladies in the room. And here's what I mean by that. It is ordained by God for a man to get his sleep. Come on, somebody. Come on, fellas. Wait, Don't throw me under the bus here, guys. I need your help real quick. It was God who caused man to sleep. So, ladies, I'm just giving you a little bit of fair warning here. You shouldn't interrupt your man when he's napping. All right, there's something. God is doing a great work. He's doing a deep internal work. Come on, fellas. Come on, give me a good amen. And he took out one of his ribs, <laughs> closed up the flesh in its place. Next verse. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman. Thank God for woman. He made into woman and he brought her to the man. And I love this. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then this next verse, final verse, uh, in premarital counseling, if you go to a Christian premarital counselor and You know, Christian, Christ-centered marriage ceremonies around the globe. An officiant will use this verse in so many uh, marriage scripts. And here's what it says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Everybody together, let's read this. You ready? One, two, three. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, whenever I have conversation with married couples, and I can't really put a definition on the amount of time that they've been married where these conversations begin to feel this way, but over and over again, I hear couples say, and you can, you can fill in the, the blank at the end, they say, this relationship, this marriage is not what I expected. I hear that all the time, that this marriage or this woman or this man is not what I expected. I want to show you something. I call it the expectation gap. And maybe a little imagery here will help uh, paint a clear picture for you of what I mean. There is this ideal world and then there's this real world. You get that, right? There's this ideal world of how we want life to be and how we want marriage to be and how we want our family to be and how we want our children to be. But then there's the reality of where we are. So what happens is we've got this expectation of where we want to be headed. And then one day we look around and we're like, good night, this is where we actually are. And the space between the two is what I call the expectation gap. So what happens is, is that your reality has not met the expectation of your heart or future, whatever that is. And now there's a massive gap there. And let me tell you this, because this is important. This expectation gap is where the enemy loves to do his work. In this expectation gap is where the enemy throws the craziness and the dysfunction and the stress and the challenges and all of that. Because it is the primary objective of the enemy to drive your household further and further apart but it's the the primary object of the the, the heart of God to bring your family together. So what I wanna do today as we talk about my crazy spouse, my crazy marriage, is can we close this gap a little bit? Now, it will take a supernatural work of God to close the gap in its entirety, although I believe that God can do that. I have seen God turn marriages around in a moment. I I have story after story, and that's not an over-exaggeration, of husbands and wives that have gotten divorced, signed the papers and split, and then God reconciled them and they got married again. So if God can do a work like that for somebody, God God can in a moment close this gap for you. But if we can just close the gap by an inch or two inch or five feet or 50 feet, you name it, then that would mean we made good progress today. So I need you to enter this conversation with an open heart and an open mind, because again, not every marriage experience is the same. Some of you might be experiencing marital bliss, and some of you might be feeling marital murder. Come on, somebody like, I don't know where you are today, but we're going to help you to close the gap just a little bit. So in order to do that, I want to give you some keys. Keys give you access. Keys give you authority, right? Keys give you a little power. So I'm going to give you some keys to turning off the crazy in your marriage. Does that make sense? Now, again, single, searching, widowed, divorced, These principles can apply. Very, very helpful for you as well. But let me talk to some married folks or people that are dating or maybe you're engaged. Uh, I think this will be really helpful for you today as well. The first key to turning off the crazy in your marriage is you've got to know the rules and you have to know your role. Know the rules and know your role. Now, don't tune me out early on, okay? You'll have a little fun today. I promise you that. But let me unpack this thought for a moment. Every person enters a relationship with unspoken rules, and they also enter a relationship with unconscious roles. Why? Because of their family experience. So how they watch their mom and dad interact in their marriage or how they watch their grandparents interact in their marriage has now created these unspoken rules and these unconscious roles. If you've taken any premarital assessment by Symbus, uh, that curriculum was developed by a husband and wife team Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott. And a part of their autobiography says we share the same name and the same passion. They want to see marriages succeed. In some of their writing, which they, when it comes to relationships and marriages, I mean, they've got multiple books as New York Times number one bestsellers. But in some of their writing, they explained rules and roles uh, by this definition. Every person has a list of unspoken rules and unconscious roles. And they live by these. These unsaid expectations, are you ready? So this is how we get that gap, because you didn't know the rule, and you broke it, and you didn't know the role, so you were playing in a part of the game you shouldn't have been playing in. Does that make sense? So these unsaid expectations can create confusing and potentially dangerous situations in a marriage. So what happens is you enter into a relationship, into a marriage, and you haven't shared the rules, and you haven't talked about the roles, and now you're constantly full of tension and frustration because your spouse isn't living up to your unsaid or unconscious expectation. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Uh, let, me, let me give you this, this thought here. It doesn't matter how long you've been married because rules and roles can evolve. So when Kimberly and I first got married, check this out, almost 17 years ago. Come on, y'all, I just love her for putting up with me for that long. <laughs> 17 years ago, the rules and the roles that we had then have evolved as we've matured the rules and the roles have matured. So you could be married, about to be married, or you've been married 15 years or 50 years. You still have responsibility to talk out the rules and the roles. Now, there is an unlimited amount of examples that I can give you, but let's look at just, and I just off the top of my head, just threw down five or six of these, some unspoken rules. You know, So there might be a rule that you're entering that marriage relationship with that says, like, we're going to pay our bills on time. Like, this is just what we do. I, I watch my family. We pay our bills on time. And the other spouse is like, hey, we don't pay our bills. <laughs> okay. Yeah, just, we don't pay them. Uh, we never raise our voice. But your spouse may come from a family that they just, you know, even when they're happy, they yell. Come on, you know anybody like that? It's like, how are you doing today? You know, like, that's kind of my personality. You know, Kimberly asks me all the time. She's like, why are you so mad? I'm like, I am not mad. I'm in a great mood. You know, but we don't raise our voice. That's a rule. Uh, we clean the kitchen before bed. That might be a rule. We don't have to worry about this one in our house because we don't cook. Come on now. <laughs> That's true. All right? We make our bed every morning. Uh, we, we don't drive fast. This is a personal one here. Holidays are a big deal. I had no idea how big of a deal holidays were when I married Kimberly Matura, who became Kimberly Worley. I mean, holidays are a huge, huge deal. And it, it doesn't. you're like, yeah, the big ones. No, it doesn't matter. It could be like St. Patrick's Cousin's Day. Come on. She's like, hey, it's a holiday. And I'm not just talking about we high five. Like, it's gifts, you know. I'll never forget. And I learned this the hard way. The very first Easter that we shared as a married couple, church ended. We go home. And on the dining room table is this massive Easter basket, of course. By then, it's just me and Kimberly, no kids at the time. And, I mean, she's gone all out. And y'all, pardon the grammar, but I ain't got nothing. Like I, I got her nothing, and I mean you could tell. Like she spent time and she spent money, and and in my mind I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And then I did what any good worldly would do. Come on, that's my family's last name. I just conned my way right out of that. I went into a closet, I grabbed a bag, you know. I ran outside, I put some grass in it, just and it was real grass, not the fake grass. And some of you are like marijuana? No, no. Now that would have been a happy Easter, but it wasn't that. It was just grass from the yard threw grass in the bag. And then I started writing. And this is where men, procrastination and forgetting is where you get yourself in the biggest trouble. You got to figure out a way to think ahead because last minute you're going to promise things you'll never keep. So I'm writing down like I promise to always do the dishes. Come on, man. I broke that promise the next day. Come on, you know, like, but anyway, holidays are a huge deal. This is, this is a rule. It's a rule And when and now she's very gracious, but when I didn't show up on that first Easter with a gift, her world was devastated because I broke a rule. You don't break rules, she said. No, she didn't say that, but all right, then you got unconscious roles. So rules are this is this is how we play the game. The roles are this is the position you play in the game. Does that make sense? So who's gonna cook? Who's gonna clean? Who's gonna pay them their bills? I mean, listen, we, we have evolved as a society. I think that there was a time in our culture where it was the expectation that the woman would cook and clean and you'd stay home. That, that's not today. There, there are like full-time dads now that cook and clean. So y'all need to have that conversation. Who's cooking? Who's cleaning? Who's paying the bills? Who's grocery shopping? In our house, we've just determined that that's the role of Shopify. Come on, like, we're just going to app our grocery list, you know? Thank you for Walmart pickup, okay? Well, who's going to be the disciplinarian? Who's going to be that in the house? Who's going to be the spiritual leader? That's an important part of the conversation to say, all right, who's going to lead this family spiritually? Now, we're a team, but what role is going to play? All right, so write this thought down here. What unspoken rules or what unconscious roles do you and your spouse see differently? And then what is your next step to resolve this? I, I, if I was a gambling man, which I am not, but if I were a betting man, I would say that a lot of the tension— A lot of the frustration, a lot of the arguing, a lot of that gap that has been created is because you broke a rule you didn't know was a rule, or you played a role that that wasn't your role. Slow your role. Come on, somebody. So what is the unspoken rule or the unconscious role that you see differently, and then what is the next step to reconcile that? And it's the next key. If you don't, you're like, I don't know what to do. It's the very next key, and it's this. you got to start talking to each other. You do. You have You have to talk to each other. Now, again, married 17 years this year. The first couple of years of our marriage, we struggled with communication. There were two primary problems with our communication when we were first married. The first problem was I didn't talk enough. And the second problem was she talked way too much. Come on. Now, you're laughing, but this is data, this is research. On average, a woman uses 20,000 vocabulary words a day. A man uses 7,000 vocabulary words a day. So women talk three times as much as a man. So here's what this means. When I say that we got to talk to each other, every woman's like, exactly. And every man's like, come on, man. (laughs) So for us men, we we got to figure out a way to open up the lines of communication and talk and not just surface-level conversations. And I know, guys, listen to me. I are one. I know the difficulty of sometimes like, hey, babe, what do you want to do tonight? She's like, I would just love to talk. <laughs> oh, Lord, <laughs> really? And I'm smiling. Have you ever done that? It's a nervous smile. Really? <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> All day I was thinking, can't wait dig it home and just talk it out. <laughs> you know, but here we are. Okay. What'd you, and then I'm like, what would you cook for dinner? And she's like, well, nothing. I'm like, I ain't talking to you, woman. <laughs> No, but let me give you. Let me give you the four most important words in a relationship, in a marriage. You ready? Come on, write these down. Four words, it'll change everything. You ready? Here they are. Are you ready? Okay. Communicate. <laughs> Communicate. Communicate. Anybody want to guess the last one? Communicate. You got to figure out a way to talk. Now I'll, I'll show you what we've learned. So I'll use the plural pronoun our marriage. But I think that this would mean your marriage too. Our marriage is never going to grow past the issues that we're unwilling to talk about. So I want you you to think about the power of that statement and the power of that reality. The issue, whatever it is, or whatever they are, multiple maybe, that is the lid to your marriage. You will never grow beyond that issue until you say, we're going to talk about it. Now here's what happens Ten out of ten times, just about. The moment that you get the courage, and it takes courage to have hard conversations, It takes courage to have honest conversations. The moment, come on, fellas, that you swallow your pride, and you're like, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna talk to her. Then you begin the conversation. It gets a little bit heated. Then it gets a lot heated, and then you storm off. She storms off. She goes to her room. Guys, you end up on the couch. Now you still slept because God's gonna let you sleep. Come on, some <laughs> maybe. But then in your mind and in her mind and in your heart and her heart, you say, well, we'll never talk about that again because of the outcome that you just experienced. So your marriage will never grow beyond the issues that you're unwilling to talk about. Let me give you uh, another imagery here. Every, every, every one of you, every household, I mean, unless you were just like incredibly obsessive compulsive, and I have a little bit of that, but even in my OCD, every household has a junk drawer Come on, you got a junk drawer, right? Like, be honest. Some of you are like, drawer? I got a whole junk room. Come on. Um, but you got a junk drawer. And what goes in the drawer is junk. I mean, it's just things, it's, you know, it's, it's bills. Come on, y'all. Like, it, it's, it's mail. It's, it's whatever. It's your kid's report card. You know, it's whatever it is. You just keep cramming it in the drawer. And how often do you think about the junk drawer? Never. Until When? You can't open it. That's right. And now when you can't open it, you're like, what in the world is going on? It's because you have stuffed it full of junk. Don't let your marriage become a junk drawer where you just cram all the junk into a hidden secret place and you think, out of sight, out of mind. It's incredibly dangerous. The enemy loves to work in that idleness. The enemy loves to work in your unwillingness to talk about it. Now, write time. Write this down. Not on the screen, but write this down. Right time, right place, right tone. Right time, right place, right tone. But you got to have a conversation. Uh, there have been, and this is my personality, but there have been multiple times that I've asked Kimberly, well, what do I need to work on? Right? Talk. What do I need to work on? Or I have prayed about, and she's such an angel, but like, there are some things I just need her to know. Some things that I feel some tension about or frustration about. And I know, like, okay, I need to have the right tone because I can be, you know, like, matter of fact sometimes. And I don't want her to feel like she's done anything wrong. But this, if, this, if this continues to fester, it could be a much bigger problem. So you got to talk about it. Does that make sense to everybody? Come on, just nod at me if it does. All right, let's open this up a little bit. The next key to turning off the crazy is you got to have some fun. Some of, your, some of your marriages are just boring. Somebody needed to tell you that. And you're thinking, wow, that's kind of hard. No, your your spouse already, they already know that. And I know you can have fun because you used to have fun. Go back. Go back to the days. Come on. Come on, guys. Go back to the days when you were dating. Are you recording each other? Maybe when you were engaged. Man, I remember those days. Like I, I just, I always wanted to be around you. And now just go shop. You know, like, like remember how fun it was? We would, talk, we would talk on the phone for hours. I'd call her, and I'd be like, what are you doing? She's like, well, I just left your house. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to stay on the phone till you get home. Come on, how many of you remember those days, you know? She's driving home, and then she gets home. And I'm like, what are you doing now? Well, I'm walking in the front door. Okay. And then, and then we're hours on the phone. And now it's like, now I just hang up. I'm just going to be honest. Like, I just need to tell you. And then the other day I hung up she called me back. She was like, did you hang up on me? I'm like, babe, no, it's just, you know, it's self service. I'm sorry, you know. And then I hung up again. I was like, Lord, I just lied, so I need forgiveness because I, I am a man. But remember, we would just, like, talk forever, and we'd get to the end of the phone call, and I'd be like, okay, you hang up. And then she would say, no, you hang up. And then I was like, no, you hang up. And I don't know why we do that with our voice. It's like, and then she's like, no, you hang up. And now it's, I don't even, it's like I don't even tell you to hang up. I'm hanging up. Like, I'm literally hanging up. <laughs> My phone rings, and it's the kind of, like, wife, and I'm like, oh, what is going on, you know? We used to have so much fun. We used to, I, we used to be so spontaneous, and, you know, we just take trips, and what happened to those days? We, I used to make you mix CDs. Come on, now. Some of y'all used to do mix tapes. A friend of mine, Calvin, used to do mix eight tracks. I see you in the back, man all those years ago? You used to send, remember to Judy, you'd send her a carrier pigeon to drop a note to let her know his Twitter now. They call that Twitter. What happened to those days? What happened to those, those fun moments? The enemy wants to steal fun from your family, to steal fun from your marriage. He, he wants, it, it breaks my heart. And this is, and again, I told you week one, I'm, I'm preaching at me more than I'm preaching at you. I got a lot of work to do. But I just, I want our marriage to be fun. I want you to have fun with me. And I want your marriages to be full of fun. And I know we're talking about spouses, but your kids need to have fun. You work so hard and you're always stressed. And I get it. Life life is exhaustive and life is expensive. But you got to figure out a way to have fun because if you want your marriage to make it for the long run, you got to have some fun. You got to have some fun. You got to figure out a way to bring the spontaneity back in to do some surprise things. And it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. It doesn't have to be, you know, putting yourself in even more financial pressure and debt and like, hey, we're going to Cancun and you can't pay your light bill. Use a little wisdom, okay? But you can say, you know what? It's a movie night with popcorn and I'm throwing M&Ms in the popcorn, baby. Come on, it's party time in the house. Some of y'all just felt the Holy Spirit when I said that, didn't you? You're like... (laughs) Did he just say M&Ms and popcorn? (laughs) Just have some fun, because if you want to make it for the long run, you got to have some fun. And that that ties into this one, all right? And this is the PG-13 part, but you need to be intimate and romantic. There needs to be intimacy and romance in your marriage. And listen to me, the intimacy doesn't happen without the romance, right? So, and I'm, I'm going to give some of you fellows an incredibly large tip, and it's absolutely free. If you want there to be more intimacy, then you bring more romance. Do you see that? So if you, if you want there to be more intimacy, and some of you are like, well, exactly what do you mean by intimacy? Sex. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what I mean by that. So if that's what you want, then you need to, bring, you need to be more romantic. You, you, if I if I really want to set up the night, you know what I do? Kimberly shows up, I'm vacuuming the floor. Come on, ladies. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> she's like, "What are you doing?" And then I'm like, "Oh, you know." <laughs> I'm vacuuming. <laughs> and she, she's like, "Well, I appreciate that, but put your shirt on." <laughs> Put that shirt on, boy. She's like, now, now if you're going Swiffer. Oh, Lord, that's a different. Swiffer, yeah. But <laughs> Sometimes I think she sets me up. She's like, ooh, yeah, can you do the laundry? <laughs> By the time it's all said and done, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm like, no, nah, I got a headache. <laughs> oh man, this whole house is so dirty. <laughs> but you need to be more intimate. You need to be more romantic. Listen to me. Uh, ben Patterson says it this way. I, I love how, how he talks about the topic of intimacy. He says, sex is good because the God who created sex is good. Now, the cancer culture is going to hate this one, but I'm going to tell you exactly what the word says. And I've told you this phrase before. When you read scripture, this is talking about holy matrimony. Okay? There ain't no bing bing without the ring ring. Come on, somebody. Like, So you, you live your life, but I'm telling you, at the end of the day, you just, you need to just get married. Come on now. But he says sex is good because the God who created sex is good. It's the world that has perverted sex, and it's so dangerous for your children. Uh, pornography and all of that is just, I mean, it's a multibillion-dollar-a-year industry. Why? Listen to me. Because someone wasn't getting intimacy, and so they found intimacy somewhere else. And they're either going to find that in someone or they're going to find that online because we were created for intimacy. Is this making sense? Please tell me that it is. So in your marriage, there has to be intimacy, there has to be romance, and again, like, sometimes we let that flame just flicker out. When we were first dating, man, I used to put so much thought into those dates. I remember, I remember one, uh, one afternoon, early evening, Kimberly stepped out of her dorm room. We were uh, dating while we were in college at Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee, she steps out of her dorm room and she steps onto a pathway of rose petals. These rose petals lead her through what at Lee University they call the ped mall, the pedestrian mall. They lead through the ped mall to an open park where, where your boy, your pastor, come on somebody, and all of his swag, come on now. I'm sitting on a park bench with an acoustic guitar. I had spent hours and hours and hours learning how to play. Wise men say, only fools rush in, but I can't help falling in love with you. Because she loves Elvis. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She's thinking, you ain't doing none of that now, boy. Let me give you some poetry. You love poetry? I love poetry. Here's some poetry. How beautiful are your sandaled feet, princess. The curves of your thighs are like jewelry. The handiwork of a master. Your navel is a rounded bowl. It never lacks mixed wine. Kimberly, I've been meaning to tell you this line, by the way. Your waist is a mound of wheat. (laughs) But it is surrounded by lilies. (laughs) Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. And some of you are thinking, is that, is that Shakespeare? <laughs> no, no, it's the Bible. <laughs> some of you are like, I ain't never, I ain't never read the Bible, <laughs> but I'm going to start today. <laughs> it's that 16-year-old kid right now. He's like, <laughs> song of Solomon. There's an entire book of the Bible that is dedicated to intimacy. Solomon in chapter 7 is responding to the words of his wife in chapter 5. If Kimberly talked to me the way that Solomon's wife talked to him, we'd have like eight kids. I'm going to be honest, (laughs) y'all. Your Bible is full of romance and intimacy. When God created Adam and Eve, what did he say? He said, be fruitful and multiply. And the enemy... Is doing everything you can to let the flame of passion dwindle out in your marriage. And if that happens, listen to me, that spouse will find intimacy somewhere else. I can't, I'm not even making this up. How many couples I have talked to that they have not been intimate, not for days or weeks, years. Years. That's heartbreaking. That's not the way that God intended for that holy matrimony to work. Does that make sense? Okay, I think this is a great place to just say, you know what, thank you, God, for sex. Come on, somebody, come <laughs> here. Some of you are like, really? Is that okay? I can clap about that? Well, I'm going to clap. <laughs> See, and that, that very thought right there is how the enemy has worked in mind. He, the enemy has perverted intimacy. Sex is good because the God who created sex is good. And under the, the banner of holy matrimony, God blesses that, and he brings unity to it. All right, let me give you a couple more. You got time for a couple more? All right, you, you've got to learn to offer grace. You and I, what we tend to do, and this is probably because we're human beings, but we rate our marriage on a scale of 1 to 10. So we're like, well, today you're a 4. You're acting like a big 3. <laughs> What you need to do, though, is lay over your marriage a grace scale, to offer grace. I want you to think about this. Think, just think about marriage for a moment. You've got, I'll put it on the screen so you can write it down, but you've got, you've got two imperfect people, okay? I've got stuff, Kimberly's got stuff. We live in an imperfect world. You know this world is crazy, right? Come on. But we're trying to love each other perfectly. Does that not sound like a recipe for disaster? But the expectation is it's going to be perfect. It is never going to be perfect. There are gonna be some really hard days, there are gonna be some really tough moments, some really hard conversations along the way. So, this isn't just a recipe for disaster, it's a recipe for failure unless there's what? Grace. There has to be grace. And it's amazing because the longer you're together, the more frustrated you become at the things that you once found to be cute. And that you loved. So I'm just going to tell y'all. Y'all need to know this, all right? I can't stand the way that Kimberly eats cereal. It is disgust. disgusting. I just, I'm like, what, why? She's just like, she's over there with her bowl of cereal like. I'm like, what in the world? What is wrong? She's like, And I, I can't tell you how many times i thought, I'm literally about to take the whole bowl of cereal and dump it on your head. Like, I'm telling you, you're going to wear it before this is over. But on the flip side, Kimberly can't stand how I brush my teeth. I don't know what's happened. I'm getting older. I get it. But all of a sudden, the last, what, three years, four years, I've developed, I have developed this gag reflex. And so, so I'll start brushing my teeth. I'm like, ah, ah. And she's like, she, she's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, ah! But y'all know you got to get way back there, right? Like, come on. Like, you're a dentist. you got to get way And I'm like, ah! The, the last two weeks ago, I went on a trip with a couple of my guy friends. Uh, we were going to, to a golf tournament. And Kimberly, I'm getting ready to leave. She's like, have fun. Be safe. She's like, and just don't brush your teeth. <laughs> she's like, just don't brush them. Just Listerine. Don't embarrass us. You know? The other morning, the other morning, I was brushing my teeth. and I'm like, no, no. And my son, Lakeland, you know, he's 11. He walks, he's like, bro, just stop. That's what he told me. He's like, just let him rot out. Like, you got to quit. It's back to her cereal. <laughs> we all got stuff. and th- Those are comical things, which, by the way, both of those are incredibly true. It's annoying listening to her. <laughs> <laughs> well we're imperfect I'm not perfect and she's not but there is grace there's grace and I'll tell you Kimberly ooh, she does a much better job at this than I do but she extends so much grace And listen to me, you got to figure out a way to see the fact that you love your spouse, God ordained your marriage on purpose for purpose, and you got to give grace. Stop being so frustrated at every little thing. Solomon said it's the little foxes that spoil the whole vineyard. And the things that I once thought it was so cute. I I remember telling my mom, "You you should see how she eats her cereal. Those things that you once found to be cute, now you find obnoxious. If you don't have grace, what's going to happen when the real stuff, the heavy stuff? And it leads us all to the climax of this message, which is the number one key to turn off the crazy. you got to keep Jesus at the center. He's got to be the center. I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. i got about two minutes here, and I'll pray for you. But... Let me just say two things about this. The first thing I want to say is if you want to keep Jesus at the center, it's going to take rules and roles. You want, you want to keep Jesus at the center, you better believe that the world will pull at that, so you better have some rules in place. If you didn't hear last Sunday, go back. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We lead by example. We lead by authority. You better have a rule about keeping Jesus at the center, but you better have some roles lined up to how the family is going to work together. And then practically, and again, lots of different conversations we could have here, but how can we keep Jesus at the center? You gotta pray together. I grew up believing that a family that prays together stays together. And I've told you this multiple times, we don't have it all together. A lot of work that I still need to do, but we pray. We're a family that prays. Every night, it's my role To get my family of four together. I anoint them with oil. I plead the blood of Jesus over them. We make a commitment to live out the fruit of the Spirit. We declare it, and then we rebuke sickness, illness, injury, disease, danger, death, anything that's evil, harm, fear. I got a six-year-old little girl that put six crosses of anointing oil on my face last night and she said and this is my six-year-old she said I rebuke cancer in the name of Jesus she said I rebuke COVID in the name of Jesus a family that prays together stays together you hear me there is power in prayer we got a long way to go but come on you got but that's my role that's my job so I'm just going to talk to the guys for a moment come on step up Come on, Dad, step up. You don't have to be a, a biblical scholar or some brilliant theologian. Just say, you know what, I haven't, I haven't been leading the family like I should, but tonight we're just going to start praying together. And you can be honest. Your family would love for you to say, I don't even really know what to say or how to pray, but now I lay me down to sleep. Come on. You start there. God will honor that. Study the Bible together. You don't have to spend hours together, but go to the YouVersion app. There are hundreds of marriage devotions that you can do over three days, seven days, 21 days. Not just marriage, but any type of devotion. Attend church together. There's power in corporate worship and in corporate prayer and sitting under the preaching and the anointing of God. There's power in this commitment, but you got to make a rule, right? You got to serve together. God gave you your family on purpose and for purpose to advance the kingdom of God through the local church. This is how you keep Jesus at the center so last question always close with one what's it going to look like for Jesus to be the center of your marriage and if you're not married you fill in the blank the center of that dating relationship that job promotion that degree that you're going after whatever it is what's it look like for Jesus to be at the center every head bowed every head closed thank you Jesus thank you Jesus God, I'll, I always walk off this platform and second guess hoping that, you know, just, I said what you wanted me to say. The enemy always tries to whisper lies in my mind, in my ear, but I am confident that these keys that I share today will change the dynamic of households for generations to come. God, if it's, if it's one area that we need to work on and pull that out and reveal it to us if it's two or four, whatever it is, God. I don't want to leave here the same way as I came. There are some things that I need to work on in my marriage. I don't want to take my family for granted. I don't want to take Kimberly for granted. So, God, I'm asking you to reveal in my heart and for those that were so gracious to listen to this message today, reveal in their heart what this next step is. And maybe... For somebody, it's inviting you into their heart to be Lord. Maybe they're married, maybe they're not. Maybe they've been in a relationship with you before and they drifted. Or maybe they've never asked you to sit on the throne of their heart. But today, you are going to make that choice. God, I pray that you would convict their hearts in such a way that they would ask you, Jesus, to forgive them of their sins. That they would invite you into their heart, into their mind, into their life, into their home, into their marriage, into whatever it is. And that you would do a work that only you can do. Nobody's looking at either of our campuses. Just every head bowed for a moment. If that's you, if you say, man, I just need Jesus in my life. I need to come back to him or I need to ask him to be Lord for the very first time. Will you throw your hand up real quick? Come on, real quick. We're almost done. Thank you. Thank you. Dead center. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you. Okay, Lord, you've seen a couple of hands that went up. We rejoice in that. And I pray that out of that obedience, that you would do that internal work. You would save them from their sins. And today, for all of us, set our feet on a new path and a new way that would keep us following you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And the entire church said, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus the highest praise. Come on.